From the Gospel of Matthew, the third chapter, verses 1 through 12, hear the word of God. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all of Judea were going out to him and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the tree, and every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness. If you're a Baptist, you can do that. You can just show up. Thank God John was not a Presbyterian. Can you imagine? In those days, John the Presbyterian appeared decently and in order called a meeting of the session for the purpose to put forth a date for the renewal of baptism service, or if need be, a celebration of the sacrament of baptism service for those seeking to affirm one faith. If approved, the goal will be for all the members of the congregation to be in attendance. A date will thus be selected upon thorough examination of the Titans football schedule, and the congregation will receive notification no less than two consecutive Sundays prior to the event. When the date is finalized, a meeting of the session will be called on to run concurrently to the worship service to aid the inclusion of any attendee who may seek to be baptized on that occasion. Those seeking baptism after careful examination by the session and a profession of faith will, if approved, receive the sacrament of baptism applied by hand, by pouring, or through immersion. All in attendance of this special worship occasion will receive a commemorative water drop pin and a pledge card. <laughs> Lord, if John had been a Presbyterian, the Advent wreath would have 27 candles on it and a fire extinguisher, no telling how long it would take us to get our act together. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness. Not a book of order in sight. He was just wild as the winter wind, wearing camel hair, eating locusts and honey, not beholden to anybody but the Holy Spirit. 
John just shows up shaking us up, daring to call our theology into question predestination. You Presbyterians do not presume to say to yourselves that you are God's frozen chosen. For I tell you, God is able from these very stones to raise up children of God. Some nerve, some nerve to call into question that we are children of God, calling us out. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? Wrath, fire, winnowing fork. We say that we like to have an open table in the Presbyterian church, but if John the Baptist shows up on our doorstep, call security and lock the doors. John the Baptist appeared unannounced. His message inspires fear, and fear is a great motivator. It's a great motivator. It's all around us. Every day at the December, I walk into the office, and I'm greeted by the latest budgetary figures. Do you know that we're $700,000 behind budget for this year? <laughs> we're not going to make budget. The pledges need to get in. And fear can work on my soul. And so I can climb up into the pulpit and say, hey, is your faith only in the stock market? When you reach the pearly gates, how are you going to explain your giving patterns to the one who sacrificed everything for you? But as it is, I can't say that because we're Presbyterians and we don't use fear as a motivator. But still, fear is everywhere. Fear is everywhere. The dentist's office uses fear, welcoming you, welcoming you into the waiting room with a wall with a gallery of gum disease on every wall. <laughs> the dermatologist offers a portrait of oddly shaped moles. Hmm. The insurance agent, a photo of a drip coming off of a, of a water from an ice machine line. The lawyer has fine print a mile long. The candidate just tells you everything that's going wrong in the world. Don't read that. It'll scare you. Set the home alarm, set the security camera, put the gun in the glove compartment. Everywhere you go, everywhere, fear is the great motivator. But not here. You and I know that the one who is coming isn't going to scold us and chop us into pieces. The one who is coming doesn't come with axe and fire, doesn't come with an agenda to settle the score. You and I know, and maybe John the Baptist will know soon, for in a few chapters down the road we'll find John in prison, in prison. And there in that prison cell he has nothing to do but think. And this is what he thinks about. He says to himself, either I'm wrong 
and the one who is to come is not going to bring axe and fire, or I'm right, and we've just got the wrong guy. He says, I'm right. And so he whispers a message out to anyone who can hear to tell Jesus, are you the one who is to come, or are we to look for another? You know, it's a bad day when God is not measuring up to God. Why? Why, God? What kind of God would cause us to suffer? What kind of God would cause me to suffer? What kind of God would allow injustice to just flourish all around? What kind of God would allow tragedy to befall me, us, over and over and over again? Are you the one who is to come, or are we to look for another? And Jesus says, you tell John what you see and hear. The blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised, the poor have good news brought to them. I wonder if John was happy with that answer. What do you think? Was he able to give up the God he thought was coming with fire and axe and justice? There's going to be hell to pay. Would he be able to give all that up for this one who brings only good news? Can John let go and repent? and turn to a God of good news? Can he see and hear God? Can we? Can we let go of our desire for revenge, our anxieties, our frustrations, our pains, our problems and believe in good news. <laughs> Guy sent me a text yesterday morning. I thought it was going to be about the soccer game. It was not. It simply said, did you see this? And it was an article about Dale Schroeder, who grew up poor in Iowa. Dale never married, no children, worked as a carpenter for 67 years, owned two pairs of jeans. And the reason I'm telling you about Dale Schroeder and the reason why Guy sent it to me was that he would spend his life savings sending 33 children to college. 33 strangers, according to the article, then formed a group. They call themselves Dale's Kids. And now they're doctors and therapists and teachers. The article called it a group. I think we would have called it a family. The article said Dale didn't have any children, 
I think we would say he had 33. The article said Dale was poor. We would say Dale was the richest man on earth. You have to lose it all to gain it all. And then you have some left over when it's all said and done. For the children will have children that they'll send. They'll see them. They'll see the need. And they know the sacrifice. And they live into that sacrifice. This is what happens with good news. The article said Dale was from Iowa. And while I have always felt that being from Iowa helps one have a clearer vision, for we don't always see forests or trees, I, that'll get you. I do believe that good news helps us see no matter what state we're in. I think it would be a shame, really, if we didn't leave this place and try it out, that we might just appear in the wilderness of this world and ask somebody, would you like some good news? What do you think the response would be? I suspect everyone has a cup out there ready for some good news. And this is what I'll say. I would warn you when you do this, and you'll do this, you'll go out and you'll say, would you like some good news? And people will hand out a cup. I suggest you look into their cup. Because in that cup, there's going to be a lot of stuff. There's going to be anger. There's going to be greed. There's going to be addiction. There's going to be abuse. There's going to be hatred. There's going to be revenge. And you're going to have to say to them, I got some very good news, but it's not going to fit into your cup unless unless you can let go. Would you like some good news? If that's the question, and you happen to see an empty cup, you can fill it a little. You don't have to go all in. You can fill it a little. You can be kind. Or you can fill it half full. You can give it a little bit more. Or you can make that cup runneth over. That'd be something, wouldn't it? And soon, soon, maybe there'd be people form a group around that person. Oh, we'd call it a family, I suppose. Maybe we'd call it the church. For we know who's coming. Coming with good news. There's no better time.